Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Here we are, tuned to uh, Future Sense, with myself, Nick Jeans, and my co-host, futurist Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nick. And our good friend is back in the chair over here, Mitch Schultz, the Texan elf. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, gentlemen. Great to so be back. So nice to have you back here. Wonderful. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, we're launching into the new year. This is our second show of the new year, having missed last week because we were out at Uluru, the three of us, and a whole bunch of other people will be talking a little bit about that today because we'll be focusing a little bit on Steve. What are we focusing on today? Oh, let me check my notes. Um, <laughs> oh, good. oh, yeah. it's Finally, uh, going to tell us. <laughs> we're going to talk about the rebirth of Indigenous knowledge and relate it back to Graves' research, which looks at recurring themes in, in second-tier consciousness. So as we move into second-tier, it's like uh, the recurrence of the kind of Indigenous living that we saw at the beginning of the first tier but uh, in a different octave I guess is one way to say it and uh, also we're going to talk later in the show or in the, in the second uh, podcast out of t- this morning's show about the need for adaptation to climate change. So first up we're going to talk about the rebirth of indigenous knowledge this morning and uh, this has been in the news a little lately here in Australia of course with the unusually large and mm. Um, wildfires that we've had here over the last month or two uh, and uh, a lot of people talking about indigenous fire knowledge and yes. indigenous management of, of the fire risk. It's one of the few positives that have come about from uh, from the tragedies of the fires here is uh, this, this focus on indigenous knowledge and the success already of uh, some people, some farmers and some uh, landholders using some indigenous practices to stave off some of the worst of the fires. It's been fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it fits in with Graves' research in a very interesting way. Uh, Graves talks about the emergence of second-tier consciousness, which starts with the seventh layer, and uh, that's been tagged yellow in the Spiral Dynamics book, and uh, Graves called it uh, intuitive. Uh, And um, it's driven by the emergence of this second tier of human consciousness is driven by extreme challenges which we need to face Mm. compounding issues on a global scale which are beyond the capacity of first tier human consciousness Mm. to resolve and so what we're seeing with the recent fires in australia is is an early uh, stage emergence of some extreme challenge that needs to be solved and as graves was analyzing his data he he got a a team of seven peers together whom he called his judges and uh, he used to throw his data from from his field research at them and ask them to sort it in you know whatever way they could figure and so uh, interestingly he it wasn't him who actually came up with the discrete layers in that way it was his judges He, he just gave them the raw data and said see how you can sort this stuff in a way that makes sense and uh what happened was after he had had amassed a, a good 
amount of data and they'd identified the first six layers plus this seventh layer which was uh, really a quantum leap ahead of the other layers after a while the the people who had been identified as operating through this seventh layer of consciousness actually changed and that kind of threw Graves for a while. He didn't know what to do with them, and he wondered at first if there was a, an error in his data. And so he uh, he he took you know notice of the judges saying, okay, these people have changed into something that looks different. It's a different value system again. And at that stage in history, there was no model of human consciousness around that had any more than seven stages in it. So it just didn't seem to fit. And um, Graves went back over his data and uh, tried to figure out what was going on there and whether there was just in fact an error somewhere uh, and what he found was as he was looking back over his data that uh, the people who were operating from layer seven if, if he had to try and compare them to one of the previous layers they were most like layer one which represents indigenous hunter-gatherer type existence, which is you know very very much connected with nature, and living in harmony with nature. And then, uh, on realizing that, he, he looked at what these people had changed into, uh, which became the eighth layer of his model eventually. And he realized that that eighth layer was most like layer two, which First was tribal the traditional layer. tribal mm. layer. Uh, so that gave him the idea that okay maybe i'm dealing with recurring sets mm. or patterns here and the themes of the first layer or the first tier of consciousness rather repeat in mm. the second tier mm. and uh, and that was the the sort of understanding that he finally settled on although he was very clear to say that he he didn't really get enough data on that eighth layer to describe it in any mm. detail yeah i think he only had six people out of 1,065 that he studied who showed up in that eighth layer of consciousness, which was the, the most complex. So that's really interesting. Uh, and of course, his, in a way, his model is a predictive model that's giving us you know, early vision of the future of humanity, uh, which is slowly evolving in response to increasing complexity of life conditions. Mm. And, and here we are now, uh, you know, decades later, uh, actually starting to see this emerge in real life, which is pretty exciting stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, what we're, we're talking about here is not a circular thing or a circular repetition, but a spiralic uh, um, resonance of one layer to the next. Yeah. And that's, that's really important because we're not going around repeating ourselves in the same way. No, but you can see how some people might interpret it that way mm. because w with recurring themes, it does look, depending on your perspective, like we're we're going back to the old ways but in fact yeah. the old where we're sort of discovering a second octave yeah. in a right. you know if you wanted to relate it to like a musical mm. uh, theme so yeah it's the same note but it's the next octave up on yeah. a different vibration uh, so so not exactly the same but definitely similar and if we look back then and we think about these first two layers in the first tier, so the, the hunter, basic hunter-gatherer and uh, traditional tribal, and we think about the way that they lived, you, you might be able to describe it uh, as, for example, being deeply connected to the earth and all, of, all life on the earth and the, the terrain itself. Uh, having a deep knowledge of and working very, very closely with uh, the energy of the earth mm. uh, 
which has been described in many, many different ways as we've evolved through the the other layers. You know, some people call it ley lines, dragon um, lines, dragon lines yeah. so, song yeah. lines in Australia, and many others. And the interesting thing is, so many traditions of these peoples have similar concepts, one way or the other. I, exactly, yeah. it's found all over the world. Yes. Uh, and back in those early first tier layers, we had because there was nothing to do it nighttime except look at the stars mate mainly no tv, <laughs> no TV with that mitch that wouldn't do well, well for you and me would it no and, uh, no netflix couldn't yeah, well, they had very w- very widescreen good definition <laughs> sky though which is pretty amazing uh, that we don't a lot, most people don't see these days because they live in cities where the lights block out the sky yeah. right um so incredible knowledge of the stars which has accumulated over tens of thousands of years and the subtle changes occurring i mean even you know things like the procession of the equinoxes w- was recorded which is a kind of yes. a twenty six thousand year cycle Uh, and all of the things that are associated with that like the the seasons on the planet the weather the climate cycles all of those sorts of things and many of these old uh, traditions have still to this day preserved knowledge of um, unusual uh, astronomical activities like supernovas and those sorts of things I think there's a there's a story I mentioned before on the show about a 30,000 year old event which was and still is recorded in oral history in uh, in Australia's Aboriginal culture Uh, and also uh, I know in other cultures uh, overseas there are records like oral records of ice ages glaciers retreating and reforming and all these sorts of things you know things that go uh, way beyond and uh, Nick's just holding up uh, Freddie Silver's latest book The Missing Lands Mm. which we've mentioned before too which is a really really wonderful compilation of a whole lot of information from right around the world which starts to make sense of some of the advanced knowledge which existed a long long time ago Mm. Um, also uh, superior sensory awareness so having to literally live off the senses and uh, having extraordinary powers of observation and analysis you know within nature that you wouldn't see uh, in most urban folks these days Mm. Um, because we see that so much in uh, for example aboriginal trackers in this country and many other countries to be able to read the landscape in a way that uh, us white fellows simply just cannot see that stuff yeah that's right and uh, interestingly um, th- some of this knowledge is preserved in the military these days yeah uh, and uh, you know I've, I think um, one of the reasons I was strongly attracted to being in the military was because of my indigenous heritage you know I, I really I loved playing in the bush when I was a kid and uh, the idea that um, that I could do that you know as a job and and uh, live in and work in the bush was pretty attractive to me um, so working with nature, living embedded in nature, uh, which which we um, don't do so much these days, being uh, custodians of the land, like having a sense yeah. of of being there to care for the caretakers. Land. Um, the uh, you know the whole idea of of having a totem animal or creature within a particular area uh, meant that within that area that particular creature creature was protected. It wasn't hunted. It wasn't eaten. Mm-hmm. And you know when you get that kind of diversity spread over a large area, it's a, it's an incredible way of managing uh, the wildlife and sustaining it, uh, and um, and caring and and uh, you know working with the land in a regenerative way. And part of that, of course, was the traditional uh, burning of the land. And uh, and over time, uh, many species in Australia, many plant species. Uh, actually adapted themselves to uh, regular burning and so uh, in some species I believe they won't actually regenerate regenerate unless they're burnt yes Um, yeah and and the other interesting thing about indigenous life uh, is this 
um, multi-dimensional awareness so the embedding of spirituality as an everyday concept mm. and uh, communication with other dimensions as being an everyday thing it's just a regular thing you know yeah. it's not some weird uh, left field thing yeah. like it has become in today's uh, somewhat disconnected society mm. yes dreams and visions mean something and they actually have uh, they have a character they have a, a resonance with uh, with the earth, with the stars, with everything somehow, everything is connected in a way that uh, that we lost a long time ago along the way as we've become more and more materialist, if you will. Yeah. And and so uh, you can, looking back at human history, you can see through uh, various major events like the agricultural revolution and the scientific industrial revolutions how we've uh, really, really changed the way that we live and relate to nature. Yeah and uh, to some extent have isolated ourselves, uh, I guess you might say protected ourselves from nature mm. and ended up living in cities and those sorts of things mm. uh, and consequently lost track of a whole lot of that mm. information. And using and abusing the resources of nature rather than being in a, in a relationship as you're speaking of, of caretaker and taking what you, only what you need. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, so what Graves' model is telling us is that this shift into second tier which is going to be and is being currently driven by uh, extreme evolutionary tension very very large um, wicked problems as Monica called it in the change code book Um, and uh, the only way that we're going to resolve those problems is through this huge shift in consciousness which is going to take us back to uh, a higher octave version of that indigenous relationship with the land. Mm. It's very exciting, and of course, that uh, reclamation of that space inside ourselves, or inside our psyche, where it's a landscape in our psyche that we're sort of rediscovering, I guess, in, in a way, for many people, is uh, is in a way, given the, the troubles that we have on the on the planet, the problems that we that we are facing, is a necessary, a really necessary aspect of of those of those coming solutions. It would seem. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, um, so we just went to Uluru, and uh, in one aspect of that was exploration of this second octave indigenous uh, relating mm. to natural energies in the land. Mm. Uh, so, in that sense, it was, a, I, I guess, a, a experimental, adventurous excursion mm. uh, by us, and we took a we took a team of uh, fifteen of us. Uh, out there well, there together. was 16 as you because there was a baby as well. Oh, there was actually a baby <laughs> Rowan. I forgot about baby Rowan. And it was yeah. eight men and eight women in the in the end, which was extraordinary that it ended up, we, if you include the baby, it was eight men. If you didn't, it was <laughs> eight men and seven women. <laughs> That's right. And Mitch, it was first time out there for you just quickly too, just to bring you into the conversation. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, blown away by not just the rock itself, yeah. um, but the space that mm. um, that energetically what was being kind of brought about and I think we all felt that in many different ways um, but it was absolutely amazing to be out there mm, fantastic indeed and if, if we look back to the way the indigenous way of living from layers one or two then from a, a mainstream uh, particularly a scientific industrial perspective a lot of uh, what they would claim and how they would explain their interaction with nature and particularly their multidimensional communication would be poo-pooed and, and discarded as unbelievable, ridiculous fantasy, primitive, overly simplistic. Uh, yet here we are, as we move into second tier, we're moving to what is technically called a transrational way of being which is beyond the rational mind's control. And so we 
are actually going back to, in a sense, this opening up to multidimensional uh, input, uh, and yet it's more sophisticated than the scientific, industrial, rational-minded understanding of reality. Um, so uh, it, this is a difficult topic to talk about <laughs> because uh, <clears throat> those who are still very much operating uh, according to the, the dominance of the rational mind will find some of the things that we're going to discuss ridiculous perhaps, unbelievable, uh, and, uh, and maybe uh, usually what happens is uh, when uh, people operating from, say, layer uh, 5 or even layer 6 encounter this kind of thing, because they they literally cannot conceptualize transrational operation, they will categorize it as pre-rational. Mm. And so it's seen as um, simplistic, mm. childlike. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's nothing we can do about that. That's <laughs> quite likely that's some of the stuff that we're going to discuss on this show is going to be interpreted that way for some people, but uh, that's, that's the way Which it is. Which is interesting for me because you were talking about graves earlier and seeing yep. these recurring themes, probably operating from five, six, possibly, I don't know exactly, but being able to start seeing these recurring patterns and then having these others be able to, to kind of tease that out mm. a little bit um, is pretty pretty, pretty amazing and, and thoughtful. Yeah, It, it is amazing. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that Graves was uh, at least poking at a second tier. Otherwise, yeah. I don't think he would have been able to conceptualize the model as he mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. What we said before, I think, about Graves, and uh, for those podcast listeners, you know what we're talking about. For those new, relatively new listeners, we might, when we come back after our first break, we might just uh, give a very brief summary of Graves' uh, work just again. Uh, yeah, well, I have this book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this and uh, we've, we've got a copy of the change code to mm. give away today. Is the text line working? The text line is working now, so Great. you can communicate either on the text line if you are a subscriber to Bay FM to go in the draw for that book, or you can call us on double six eight zero seven triple nine. Kate is out there. She will take your call. The text line is zero four three seven three four triple one nine. And why we are talking about holding up the book, it's because we are actually filming today. Uh, te- and Mitch, just give us a bit of a, an overview of what we're doing here and what we're beginning with uh, this year with you here for a beginning now with uh, visuals here on this well, uh, future sense show our trip out to uluru um, inspired us to go look at some new technology and uh, we got ourselves a new little toy to play with our gopro max um, but what we want to do is start recording these and uh, putting these out in 360 mm. um, so we can kind of engage the viewers a little bit more and, and start pulling in more visual aspect to uh, to what we're doing. Yeah, so trying to get as many excited. perspectives included as possible. Right. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You can check us out in 360, folks. Yeah. So we'll let you know how to do all of that as we go forward very shortly. So we're, we're in a bit of an experimental stage today and um, being 2020, all bets are off, I think. Uh, paradoxes abound. Uh, un- unusual and uncertain circumstances are probably going to happen more often. I think that's personal and societal and clearly on the planet, uh, everything is is yeah pretty shaky, uh, in and inside and outside. So, and we're we're here to we're here to help. <laughs> we're a bit of a triage here, you could say. <laughs> uh, we'll take a break here. Yeah? Yep. Here on Bay FM. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. You're tuned now to Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, Steve McDonald, and our special guest, uh, again, uh, the great Mitch Schultz. The great Mitch Schultz. <laughs> I like the Texan elf. Yeah, the Texan elf, <laughs> indeed. And uh, we're talking about indigenous wisdom, essentially. And um, 
Uh, we base uh, much of what we talk about on the show, as you do know if you're a regular listener, on Claire W. Graves' work, who was a psychologist in the 50s, 60s, 70s, died in 1986 in the US, and the research that he did, which Steve uh, articulated early in the show, just so that you know that, but most of you who listen to the show regularly know that, and uh, also our podcast listeners out there, hello to you. And of course, all that stuff is wonderfully summarised in the Change Code book, which we're giving a copy away of today. Indeed, there it is again for those who can see it visually. And a shout-out to Monica Bourgeau, the author of that book, who's one of our regular listeners we know. Indeed. So we've just been talking about the recurrence of Indigenous themes in second-tier consciousness and how the traditional ways of living that uh, we saw um, mostly, uh, which were common earlier t- at earlier times in history, although there are still uh, many people on the planet who are living according to those value systems. Mm. Uh, and uh, Graves found in his research that as we moved into second tier, which is like a second octave of, or a second chapter of human existence, that there was a recurrence of themes apparently, at least in in the first two layers, layers seven and layers eight. And he, he made an assumption at the time that maybe there's another set of six coming, uh, just like the first six layers in the first tier, but we, we still don't really know that for sure yet. And so what does uh, this higher octave uh, emergence of Indigenous themes look like? Um, So I guess uh, we, earlier in the show, I I went through a quick list of some of the characteristics of uh, the original Indigenous um, groups of people who are living on the planet. And I'll just quickly whip through those again. So being deeply connected to the earth, plants and all life, uh, and the, and the, the physical uh, terrain itself, knowledge of the terrain, working with uh, uh, energy lines, geomagnetic fields, in other words, uh, knowledge of the stars and how the movement of the stars also pointed to changes in the seasons, uh, climate cycles, local weather, those sorts of things. Simple things like, um, you know, being able to look up at the moon at night and, and seeing a, a ring of mist around the moon and knowing that, okay, there's going to be a dew tomorrow morning yes. and we can collect the water in, in yes. the desert and stuff like that. Um, superior sensory awareness, you know, that was finally, finally tuned to living in somewhat uh, hazardous environments and uh, needing to be finely tuned in order to, you know, catch food to eat and that, that sort of thing. Um, so working very closely with nature, living embedded in nature, being custodians of the land, uh, sustainably and regeneratively interacting with the land and having this inbuilt multi- multi-dimensional awareness, in other words, a, a spiritual outlook on life, which made interdimensional communication an everyday occurrence. You know, it was just as normal as talking to the, the physical person next to you. And, and what do those things look like in second tier? How do they show up? Um, some things that are, are definitely different in second tier is that the scale or scope of yes. living and thinking is larger. So whereas uh, in traditional older times you, you were focused on your tribal land and there were you know clear boundaries between you and, and the next bunch of folks living on their land uh, and certainly relating to the sun and the big night sky and those sorts of things. So there was, there was a very big perspective in that sense. But in terms of the physical earth, it was a limited space. Um, whereas in second tier, you know, here we are now leaving our planet and starting to travel through our solar system. We're getting early glimpses of our solar system from the outside and have, getting some rough idea of where we are in the galaxy and how we're transiting mm. through the galaxy and those sorts of things. So that 
mm. scale and scope is clearly bigger. Well, just that we have a global perspective now and pretty well everybody on the planet to one degree or other, most people on the planet arguably have uh, some sort of global perspective emerging. So it's not just a local tribal or local land uh, yeah. understanding of, uh, of what you're talking about, but actually we're now starting to get, get that, that we're actually on this one planet together and we actually need to be guardians and caretakers of the whole thing together. Yeah, and including outside of that into the solar system and beyond, as you're saying, because we're starting to explore those spaces. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and also today we have the benefit of our science and technology. Uh, so all of the things that we've learnt uh, through the scientific industrial revolutions and all of the interesting devices that we have now which can show us where we are on the planet and uh, who's uh, winning the elections and all those sorts of interesting things. <laughs> who's fiddling the elections? Yeah. Who's diddling and fiddling the elections? Who's spying on us? Yeah. Who's spying on us? Oh, exciting stuff. Exactly. Mm. We did talk about those things as well on these shows, but uh, not well, today. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the other interesting thing about the, the second octave, so second tier consciousness, is that we've, we've gone from this pre-rational way of living in the early layers of first tier through the rational time, which really came with the agricultural revolution uh, and uh, layer four, layer five was maybe arguably the peak of rationalism in the scientific industrial era and then layer six is still very much dominated by the rational mind but trying to piece together the emotional instinctive with the rational and, and come up with a combination you know, we, which which they're moving towards, of course, as we leap into second tier, we get that consolidated, right. integrated, pre-rational, rational, trans-rational operation. Yeah, that's great. That sort of uh, early stages of integration of those parts, are, uh, arguably also, I guess, the left and right brain. You could even say simply the hemispheres of our, of our uh, brains and our intelligence. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess back in the early days, uh, it was a pretty like I said, a hazardous lifestyle um, and, and not only because of the dangers of nature and living embedded in nature without any um, you know, physical protection like we have now. We can hide ourselves in concrete boxes and that kind of stuff if it gets too wild. Um, but also to a point. Well, I mean, the thing is we are becoming right now with the fires, for example, many other extreme weather events on the planet, we are becoming and realising we are actually vulnerable. While we do have metal steel boxes, um, concrete boxes we can hide in, we can't always do that. That's right. And I think the the extreme uh, crisis that we're facing at the moment with the climate shifting and going, particularly going into this uh, classical complex system change pattern of uh, oscillating extremes, yes. extreme hot heat, extreme cold, we're starting, uh, at least some of us are starting to realise that nature is fiercely in charge. Yeah. You know, this, this idea that all we need to do is just change our policy, we'll change the climate, it'll all be fine. <laughs> I don't know about that fiercely in charge like that. It reminds me of Ram Dass, who of course passed recently, who you wrote uh, that wonderful book, Fierce Grace, because in a sense, perhaps that is what this is about, is it's a kind of fierce grace that has been visited upon the whole planet. Yeah. Mm. And I think another significant thing that's changing as we move to this higher octave, second tier way of living is that humanity uh, is becoming peaceful and and we are moving beyond the point where we want to kill each other and that was something that we had to cope with back in those earlier really right through the whole first tier of human consciousness we've had to cope with this fact that okay some of us want to kill uh humans for being different you know we, yeah. we we want to battle over whatever food yes property land mm. uh money um and and that's something we're moving beyond so um that is i guess a small concession 
as we move into second tier is we are going to move beyond that need to to want to kill each other um, but yet like I said nature remains fiercely in charge so we still have to deal with um, everything that nature brings mm. well I guess that part of that moving away from wanting to kill one another is there's going to be that more collaborative space because we're going to have to deal with these larger issues that are coming about and that's going to be very, very important if we're going to survive. It, it is, absolutely. And uh, that's uh, one uh, way that Freddie Silver's latest book is, is very useful and interesting, The Missing Lands, and I, I really recommend uh, that, that book strongly. We're going to try and get Freddie on the show uh, sometime. Uh, he's talking about uh, a, a global-scale catastrophe that happened around the time of what's known as the Younger Dryas, which was roughly around about 10,800 B.C., where, as far as we can figure, a massive comet uh, splintered and uh, basically hit the Earth like a giant um, burning shotgun and set much of the planet on fire uh, and uh, caused the great floods, which are recorded in pretty much every civilization's history. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and wiped out our historical records. So we had to rebuild our, our history again. We don't have any written history that goes back beyond that. It's fascinating on that topic that the only, until recently, until this kind of work in, in recent times, the only record of that, of course, is in the, in the, in the Bible and uh, the other texts there, which were essentially taken from these earlier records and, uh, and re-mythologised and, and fitted into that, uh, that, uh, that space, that religious space, arguably. Some of you may not agree with that, of course. But, yeah, uh, and another interesting thing that's mentioned in, in Freddie's book, and, and which is also mentioned in uh, Indigenous uh, law, is open contact with star beings, extraterrestrial life, uh, visiting planet Earth. And uh, I, I first went to Australia's Red Centre back in 2012, and I uh, yeah. had some interaction with a, a wonderful um, Aboriginal healer uh, based in Alice Springs called Frank Ansel. And uh, I was on an, an organised uh, retreat and Frank came and worked with us for a couple of days and took us around some significant sites in the East McDonnell Ranges. And uh, at one of those places that we visited, you know, we, we sort of stopped on this hill and looked over a, a dry creek bed and a bit of, um, bit of sort of... Uh, deserty savannah kind of country and he just said very casually this is where my ancestors used to do their corroborees uh, which is like a, a ritual dance uh, down in that flat there and he said one one day they were, or one night they were doing that and then the the um, star people they came and landed on that hill over there and they walked down this way here and interacted with my ancestors and then they left again and he was just saying it like you know it was uh, you know then a kangaroo hopped past and it was kind of a normal thing um but uh, if, you know, Freddie's gone into great detail in his Missing Lands book uh, to pull together all of the, the stories around the world, you know, talking about interaction with extraterrestrials and their contribution to particularly rebuilding human civilization around the time of, of great catastrophes on the earth, and there have been plenty. And uh, we're, we're just fortunate that we've been living through a relatively stable time on the planet, but it's not always like that. And also, uh, there's, there is uh, definitely a movement as more and more of us uh, shift into this transrational space and particularly uh, choosing to explore it 
using various means, uh, one of which Mitch has made a movie about. <laughs> What's that? Uh, talk about, uh, talking about psychedelics, <laughs> DMT. For those who and don't know, Mitch is the uh, the creator and uh, director of DMT, the Spirit Molecule. Spirit Molecule. In Japan, they call it that. Oh, good talk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and people who have been exploring that place, uh, many, many of them are reporting uh, interdimensional interaction with uh, intelligent life in other dimensions, uh, some of whom are presenting as uh, star beings from elsewhere in our galaxy or our universe. And this, of course, is still pretty much a fringe, dis- a fringe discussion um, in mainstream society, but... Uh, all new breakthroughs are fringe things when they emerge, and, and this is this is the direction that we're headed. It's quite clear. We'll take a break here on Bayfam. Thanks for your texts, of course, as usual, and um, and we're familiar with uh, probably we'll see where we go. It's uh, about um, the Ringing Cedars. Can you speak to the Russian influence? The Ringing Cedars series of writings by Vladimir Megre, inspired and directed by the Siberian Siberian woman known as Anastasia. We're all familiar with this book. I don't know if uh, we want to make any comment about that. I've got a feeling that Freddie mentions that in mm. The Missing Lands. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm certainly mm-hmm. aware of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I haven't uh, gone into any great study of that particular body of work, but uh, it certainly is very much aligned with you know many many other sources that sort of tap into this indigenous deep indigenous knowledge and the multidimensional aspects of it for sure you're resonating right now on future sense with steve mcdonald and nick jeans you're on future sense with uh, steve mcdonald nick jeans and our guest mitch schultz here on this 20th of january 2020 2020 2020 today in fact it is better than 2020 vision and we're talking about the rebirth of indigenous knowledge and how that ties into the emergence of second tier consciousness according to claire graves's model of, of the evolution of humanity and uh, the fact that the, the shift into second-tier consciousness is being driven by increasing complexity and particularly the increasing complexity of challenges that we face in the world, the compounding issues that are just building up and creating more and more tension and uh, the decline in the uh, efficacy of our social systems, our government, um, and it's, its failure to be able to address these very, very complex issues. And it's, it's all of this tension that's actually going to flip our consciousness into a completely new uh, octave of operation. And part of that will be the recurrence of Indigenous themes. And this is something that Claire Graves uh, explicitly identified in his research is that as we move into secondary consciousness, some of the themes that we find in early stage uh, human consciousness, Indigenous and traditional tribal living, are recurring and and they are recurring out of necessity because we are faced with certain issues that require us to reconnect with and have a deeper understanding of this planet that we live on and the the wider influences that uh, change and and uh, shape the cycles that we have to encounter climate cycles and those sorts of things on the planet um, so uh, we, we were just talking a little bit about uh, extraterrestrial communication and contact before we took a break just then. And, uh, and this is something that is already occurring, according to people who are exploring multidimensional communication, particularly through things like psychedelics. And um, it's, it's still very much a kind of a, a fringe topic and weird to most people, but it's happening. And so um, let us imagine what a new way of living indigenously might look like 
through this this second tier lens, uh, second tier human values. So take all of those things that we mentioned earlier uh, in this show about the nature of Indigenous living and um, and supplement them with uh, a, a grander perspective that includes you know looking back on our own solar system's transit through this part of the galaxy as yes, we, we have about the, the, the benefit, mm. benefit of new technology in our Voyager space, spacecraft which had punched outside the uh, the sun's bow wave to give us a bit of information about interstellar uh, space out there and uh, simple things like the the falling away of fear as a driver of behavior so not that we don't feel fear anymore but then fear just doesn't drive our behavior and the falling away of compulsion so each of the first uh, six value systems in the first tier of consciousness all come with particularly compulsive behaviors and uh, we're losing that we're we're letting go of our compulsions which makes us a more mindful and uh and uh, a calmer species less likely to kill each other too um, reawakening to multi-dimensional existence so as we move beyond the control of the rational mind not discarding it but building another layer over the top of it which gives us uh, access to multi-dimensional um, information in a way that we haven't had before um, and it also allows us to actively and, and practically merge the concepts of science and spirituality uh, and that's something that's that's a work in progress right now. You can see it happening this year. I'm looking forward to this. It's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. Indeed. And also considerably expanded sensory perception. So as we've moved up through the layers in different ways, our sensory perception has expanded. And each time to adapt us to the particular life conditions that we face. So, you know, you could go back to layer one and say, okay, there's a superior sensory awareness there for the particular set of life conditions of having to live. Um, mm. bare skin embedded in nature you know which which arguably declined uh, although maybe certain parts of society you know have preserved yeah. it through the ages yes. and as I mentioned before one place where some of that knowledge has been preserved is in the military for sure for all of you out there strangers in a strange land you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM you are tuned to Future Sense, and uh, you're with myself, Nick Jeans, Steve McDonald, and Mitch Schultz here, and we're talking about Indigenous wisdom and moving forward into uh, the, the future that is right here. Uh, it's here already, just not evenly distributed, as we often say here on this show. Yeah, Steve, well, you want to talk a little bit about uh, Uluru? Yeah, just to quickly give a report on what we were doing out there. Yeah. Uh, the reason we went was that we were guided uh, to be there last weekend, and that information came through multiple interdimensional channels. So um, because we're, you know, we're, this is a very new field that we're playing in yeah. uh, at a, in terms of our species, uh, tapping into this transrational way of being and, and uh, the various new information channels that it brings, um, so I personally, I'm uh, being quite cautious and uh, attempting to stay quite grounded, you know, as we engage with these things to make sure that we're not flipping back to the pre-rational and kind of filling in the gaps with, with fantasy mm. or superstition and those sorts and of things. And that's an important so point too. It's a really important point during this transition time. Mm. So what I usually look for is multiple sources, independent sources, mm. bringing the same information. Mm. And we certainly had that. And that, that's why I was quite confident that, okay, this is genuine. We need to go out there. Uh, and there was a uh, predicted shift 
or upgrade in the geomagnetic energy around Uluru and Katajuda that was scheduled for last weekend. Uh, so it was definitely connected with that. Who scheduled that? <laughs> we, we, we know that um, we know that the Schumann resonance ha- frequency has been increasing uh, steadily and sometimes in quite dramatic peaks. We we saw peaks up to 99 hertz last year, whereas the in the past it normally sits around 7.8 hertz. And that resonance, that frequency, is related to uh, Electric storm, electrical storm activity in the Earth's atmosphere, uh, and uh, the the change in it is most likely related to an increase or change in cosmic radiation that's impacting the planet, which I believe is probably connected to the fact that our solar system is currently transiting out of the local cloud, which is a particularly uh, dense, cloudy part of the galaxy that we've been flying f- through for quite a long time. And that is science. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is science. There is science yeah. for that. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, <laughs> Cryon, who we regard as a reliable source because he's been predicting stuff for 30 years and it comes true. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we, Cryon seems to work. And Cryon's been talking recently about the need to think galactically and also about the presence of uh, what, 24 nodes and nulls. That's his language on the planet. Uh, and if we look back through history, history Nick, as you said, the, these uh, energy lines that run through the Earth yeah. and around the Earth have been described in various ways through the various value systems throughout history, called various things from dragon lines to ley lines to the, the latest iteration, iteration seems to be nodes and nulls, according to Cryon. And uh, Uluru is said to be a node, an energy node, which is paired with an energy null. So that's like a masculine, feminine, the node being the masculine uh, and the feminine pair with Uluru is, uh, according to Cryon, Mount Logan in the Yukon Territories in Canada. Um, So uh, when we got out there, all I can say is that uh, I I and and many others in the group uh, could quite clearly feel the energy flowing out of the western side of um, Uluru, and we just walked around the the tourist circuit around the rock there. Uh, We we did uh, consult some uh, indigenous folks before we headed out there and got some guidance on protocol and those sorts of things yep. we, we also um, you know discovered uh, the, the depth of trauma that they've been through in terms of being shifted off that land and not having proper access to their sacred land and, and all those sorts of things and it's, a, it's a, a terrible terrible tragedy as it is in most places around Australia and something that we as a nation need to heal uh, and uh, and do something about urgently also mm. Um, so, uh, so when we get out, when we did get out there, we, we explored as a group um, the interaction of our consciousness with this geomagnetic field that we discovered there. Uh, quite uh, a lot of us, if not all of us, were able to uh, visualise uh, the shape and geometries associated with the uh, energy field, and also uh, witness the upgrade which had been uh, forecast. And we we worked at Uluru one day, and then the next day. Um, because of the, the weather out there, you know, it's, it's pretty hot. So we generally got up before dawn and went out and worked uh, around dawn. Uh, and uh, one day at Uluru and the next day at Katajuda, which is, uh, used to be called the Olgas. Used to be called the Olgas. Exactly. And, and had some very, very interesting experiences mm. and, and learned a bit about geomagnetic fields in mm. the process. Mm. Very good. Um, thanks for your text. And it was, was everything that Steve said. Yes. And Mitch, yes. Yeah. We can just say yes. It's a good word. Yes. See. Very good word. See. Yes.
Sisi, um, texts, uh, thank you for all the texts. And, uh, you know, we do have um, the, the draw running for the, the change code. Book a copy of double six eight zero seven triple nine if you are a subscriber or 0437341119 on the text line. A couple of little points here. We won't be able to, don't have time to address them deeply, but love to acknowledge the, uh, what comes in. The Anunnaki from Nibiru, I feel, were the ones that were either on the meteorite that Steve mentioned earlier, or maybe, and we're talking about 10,800 years ago, as uh, as uh, Freddie Silver in the Missing Lands book uh, talks about, uh, that maybe it was part of Nibiru that hit the Earth. They used to visit here every 360,000 years, according to this texter. They were mining the gold on Earth for their atmosphere on Nibiru. They also used to ingest the gold, yes, and uh, this is all part of um, Zachariah Sitchin's Twelfth uh, Planet book series, yeah? Yeah, I haven't read any of Zachariah Sitchin's books. Um, I I think he's interpreting some of the, the evidence in a, a, a mixed way, so uh, I think some of the information, and, and probably uh, most of the information in that text, you know, is, is quite likely uh, correct. Mm. But uh, I must say, Freddie Silver has done the best job I've ever seen of yeah. pulling together the the real, you know, physical evidence, and uh, also doing a lot of language analysis across different cultures, mm. where this this story is actually embedded in many, many more cultures than I expected, right around the planet, of the great um, cataclysm, and then the uh, response to that, and the presence of. Uh, folks with advanced knowledge who had um, all sorts of extraordinary superhuman abilities uh, who were called in many, many different cultures uh, Anunnaki or Anunnaki, which in all of these languages uh, means people of the serpent. Yes. And the serpent being a representation, uh, a a, a form of expressing the presence of energy lines that run through the earth. And and one of their characteristics was they had advanced uh, knowledge of working with these natural energies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And on uh, the notion of the snake, a text that has written in, it's a great text, and thank you so much for this. I don't know if we can address it very deeply right now, but uh, someone has written in and said, asking for some magical level karma clearing healing seriously killed i killed a brown snake in an effort to protect my daughter i felt soulfully so sad directly after and then my life spiraled catastrophically soon after any thoughts yeah strong text and uh, our, um, our empathy goes to you mm. it is a strong text uh and i, I think um it's important to understand how our perspective on things can shape our experience of reality and uh, if we are feeling bad about doing something and we're coming down on ourselves, you know as a result then that is going to shape our experience of of life Uh, it's going to shape what we resonate and what we draw towards ourselves and the the solution to that is forgiveness so uh, to that person that texted in, I would suggest that if you can uh, truly uh, forgive yourself and um, show compassion towards yourself in the same way that you probably show compassion towards the snake, mm. uh, then I, I think that will make a difference for you. Mm. And, you know, you do the thing that you need to do in the moment. Uh, that seems right. to be the right thing to do in that moment. Absolutely. Um, last text quickly before we move on uh, into the second part today if there ever was a time for the mob all over the country to come in with a new governance a new way dreaming it's now 
to take us through in unity to the new way forward. Yeah, that's, a, that's good. Might be happening. Yeah, it's happening. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.